When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. It's always soccer in Philadelphia at the end of February, and you know what that means. The shortest offseason in North American sports is coming to an end, but we're looking forward to that because the Philadelphia Union are a really good team, and we want to see them play again. They'll play Saturday in the season opener at Subaru Park against Minnesota United, a balmy 34 degrees, according to the meteorologist known as my phone. Uh, but that doesn't matter. I would go anywhere to watch this team. I watched them in Antarctica if I had to. Watching them with us this year for second season on the uh, broadcast, Philadelphia Union color commentator uh, and a former Premier League footballer, it's Danny Higginbottom returning to the program. Danny, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm um, I'm really looking forward to the to the start of the season. Um, I think obviously the players that they have they've had a little bit of a shorter break than usual. A lot of that is to do with the success that they had. Obviously, it was it it, it was sad how it finished, um, how the season had gone and everything. But myself personally, I, I can't wait to get going, and I think the team seems to be in really good shape as well, which is great with obviously the additions and, and what have you. Well, we haven't talked to you since then, Danny, so just put a bow on it for us for last year. Um, what did you think of the COVID situation, how the playoffs ended, and um, you know, also just you personally, you know, your first year doing the broadcast and uh, living here full-time, and how is uh, Philadelphia treating you, and how was your experience? Amazing. Um, I loved every minute of it. If the season finished and then started the week later, I would have been ready to go again. It was, it was such an enjoyable season, and I never forget, um, just before the NYCFC game, I was watching them play against New England and you're like, okay, you know, let, let's see how things go. And then you start to think that things are starting to go Philadelphia Union's way because obviously we know what, we know what happened with Castellanos, the fact that NYCFC went through. So Union had a home fixture, you know, how strong they are at home. And then just out of the blue, what we, start, what we started to see two or three days before the game was just... it. It was really difficult. I, I can't even think about how tough it will have been for some of the players that had been such a big part of it. And then all of a sudden, it's just taken away from them like that. But what I would say is that even when the game was going on, there was still a sense of that they could do it. And the players that came in, I thought, gave an unbelievable account of themselves. And I think what it's probably done for everybody involved, whether it was players that unfortunately had to miss the game through COVID or players that were involved in the game it's probably given that them that extra bit of fire that extra bit of hunger and I know speaking to a few of the players um, I've been in a couple of times to see them before they went to Florida and you know they were just looking forward to getting going and they know how good they were last season and everything was heating up at the right time for them and then you know the situation that they found themselves in was just it was awful, you know. It's it's not the way anybody wants a season to end. If you're if you're playing against NYCFC at home, and you know you you've both got your, your your strongest teams out, that's a little bit more acceptable. But you know, just the the manner of it and what have you, I think there's all the players will will hopefully use it as a positive to be like, right, okay, we missed out last season. Yeah. Beyond 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 our um, 
beyond really what they could have done to a certain extent. So, you know, they'll, they'll be wanting to, to to start the season, you know, raring to go and hit the ground running. Yeah, and they should be motivated by that in Hungary. And, you know, Jim is actually on the podcast, I guess, like four or five weeks ago or something like that. And we both agree that there was a lot to be proud of. You know, Aurelian Colin hasn't played a game in like two years. And, yeah. you know, he's as old as I am. And he's out there uh, looking like he turned back the clock, you know. So that was great to see Stuart Finley, who hadn't played in a while. You know, it's just a raw deal for for those guys. Like Alejandro Bedoy is getting older. You know, he may not ever be there ever again. You know, so it's hard to swallow, and it's a it's a tough way to go out. But you know, here we are a short time later. We're talking about the season opener. Um, they make a bunch of lot of move. They make a bunch of moves. Let's just go over them right now. Mikhail Orr comes in, striker from Brami in Denmark. They went out and got Julian Carranza. Traded Jamir Montero, traded Casper Shabilko. Uh Maybe most importantly, they keep Jose Martinez and Kai Wagner, um, two of their best defensive pieces, right? And these are pretty obvious, Danny. It's like uh, I always say that it's easy to upgrade a bad team. It's hard to upgrade a good team. So you got Casper Shabilko and Jamir Montero, who are good players, but um, you, know, you make upgrades at those positions and, and bring in, pay money for a striker. Um, you know, obviously they feel really strongly about the young kids behind Jamiro. Uh, to me, it was a combination of knowing that they needed to get stronger, but also trusting some of the young kids there as well. And, uh, you know, when I look at it, if I have to pick like an arbitrary grade for this offseason, I, I think they would get an A. Yeah, 100%. I think first and foremost, you, you mentioned the young players. You know, when 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 the scenario happened with Montero, don't get me wrong, he's been a fantastic player for Philadelphia Union and he's a player that can create something from nothing. And, you know, at, at certain times he has been the main man. But if you're a young player in that squad now, you know, if you're a McGlynn, if you're a Sullivan, if you're an Aronson, all of a sudden you're feeling about six foot five tall because there's trust. You know, and it was something that I spoke to to Jim about on a number of occasions last season, the simple fact that, he trusts these young players. And as a young player, when you come onto the pitch or if you start in the game, it's all about that first touch. You know, can you have that first touch, that first pass, make it safe? Not these players. They want to go on and they want to make something happen. If you look at the highlights of last season, it's some of the goals from the younger players, some, some of the performances from the younger players. And from, from a young player's perspective, when you are seeing a manager putting faith in you, putting you in when other people may go, oh, well, there's someone more experienced that could play in this specific game. Then that's just going to do your confidence the world of good. So there's going to be big things expected of the younger players because they're not not fresh off the shelf, so to speak. Everybody knows about them. Everybody knows the expectation levels that are on them from the way that they've performed. So that's something that I think the younger players are going to have to learn to adapt to. And the beauty of this Philadelphia Union dressing room, and I go back to the NYCFC game, is that you have a really good blend of younger players, of senior players, and senior players help the younger players, but younger players also help the senior players with with their energy and, and enthusiasm that they bring to the pitch. And when you're playing a team like NYCFC, and you have a number of players that have had very few minutes this season come on and perform the way that they did, that tells you that this is a group that's really united and it all looks good going forward. But the signings, I think when you look at Shabilko, he's obviously been the main man in terms of goals for a while. I actually think he was too unselfish. 
there was times where you'd be covering a game and you were like, okay, the fullbacks have, have got forward, whether it be Baizo, whether it be Harriel, whether it be Wagner. They've got themselves into great positions to cross the ball, but Shabilko's not in the box. Yeah, That's because he's been part of the build-up play where at times you actually want this focal point because with Union predominantly playing the diamond, you get so much width from your fullbacks to put crosses into the box. And mm-hmm. um, so obviously with Aura coming in, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts. Obviously at Bromby, what he's done, he's been the top goal scorer in the league as well. So he comes with, with well, with a lot of pedigree. And I think one of the things you see when you see the clips, not only the goals that he scores, but his work rate as well. For you to play in this Philadelphia Union team, you have to buy into that. Yeah. And the pressing starts from the front, the defending starts from the front. And, and as for Carranza, I think this is a player that probably needs an arm around the shoulder. You know, it was very difficult for him to get game time last season. Obviously, they had Higuain, who was the main man. And I just think he comes in. And I think one of the things we all know about Jim Kern is that his man management skills are up there with the best of them. Yeah. And I, I think Carranza could be a really, really astute and very clever signing. You know, if I was looking at this team and I had to kind of take this off season, this coming season, and boil it down into maybe like one singular word, to me it would be identity. And um, I, I was wondering, Danny, when you were getting ready to take this job, did you watch the uh, the Brendan Aronson games from the year prior? Yes. Okay, so yeah, so Brendan's work rate was insane, and they were high-pressing to a point where sometimes it looked like the Red Bull press you know, frenetically high up the pitch and they were reading cues and pushing way, pushing the opponent way high. They got away from that in the sense last year where they were just, uh, you know, they still had their cues and they still had their identity and they were still getting direct in transition off a win in the ball. But it wasn't like the Red Bull style press that Aronson was, was doing with them. It was a little different with the personnel. They have Jamiro in there as a, playing as a 10. He was an eight the year prior. Gosh, dog comes in at the middle of the season, trying to find his feet at the same time. You know, we talked about fullbacks and the width getting, you know, Kai Wagner getting forward, bashing crosses in, but their identity did change offensively. They were always a stout defensive team, but they weren't the Brendan Aronson year of the of, uh, team of the year prior. And I'm just wondering what you expect from them in the attack and what their identity is going forward this time around. I think when, when you look at the scenario with, with Brendan Aronson, you know, everybody talks about the ability that he has turning up in the right place at the right time. But one of the biggest things from my side of things, because I watched all the games the season before as well, was, as you quite rightly said, the pressing. So when you take him out of the team, there was no like-for-like replacement that was going to be able to do what he did off the ball. And obviously, we know Montero, he can press, but it's, it's a different element than Aronson. Aronson, the distance he covered was was just incredible. It was actually tiring to watch him. He would, yeah. his work rate was just nonstop. Now, Guards Dog obviously then came in. And one of the things that you find is that when you look at teams throughout the world now, usually it's 4-2-3-1, it's 4-3-3, it'll be 3-4-3. Not too many teams play with a diamond. So what usually happens is when a player comes into a team like Philadelphia Union that, that have this unique identity, the, the chances are is that it's going to take time for that player to adapt because they're not moving from a 4-2-3-1 to a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 to a 4-3-3, and that takes time. And something that I saw last season with Garsdog was that he was trying to learn 
during games and in games about when to press and when not to press. And I think what at times he would do, he would overthink it. So when I used to see Aronson, it was because he was part of this jigsaw, he would press and everybody would go off him. So he didn't think he... He didn't think about it. It was like, right, there's the ball. I'm going to go and press. I'm not going to worry about what's behind me because they're going to take their movements off me. When Garsdog first came into the team and he was playing at the, the tip of the diamond, I don't think he was too sure what to do. So instead of going after the centre-back that had the ball, he would sometimes go in between the two centre-backs to make sure one of them couldn't pass it. Now, the problem you have with that, that affects the players behind you. Because they don't know what to do then because they're not getting that cue of where to go. But as the season went on, I thought that intensity came back the more Garstad got used to the way the Union played. And one of the things that I would say is that I think it's going to be a big season for Garstad. I don't think there's any, any doubt about it. We saw his talent, in particular towards the, the, latter end, uh, the latter stages of last season. Now I think he's settled in. He knows what's expected from him. He knows how the team plays. I thought that that was evident in the final third of the season as well when he was getting an understanding of the pressing of the team. And then I thought the pressing intensity then came back. But it's always going to be one cue. And people will always say, well, it's going to be the centre-forward. A lot of the time it's not the centre-forward because he may have made a run to the left or the right, so he's not in a position to be the first point of contact. A lot of the time it is that number 10. And I think as God's dog introduced himself and understood the team ethics more, I thought the pressing then came back into it. So I don't expect anything different as in terms of the, the pressing. There may be some games. What I would say to counter that is that Philadelphia Union now, they're a known entity. I think yeah. last season, last season people respected them because they won the Supporters' Shield the previous season. But some of that was taken away because they lost Mark McKenzie and they lost Brendan Aronson. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, the, the, they won the Supporters' Shield, but they lost two of their biggest pieces of the jigsaw. Last season, they, they filled those areas, they filled those gaps, and they were still an incredible team. So this season, I think what you find, and I've seen it with a lot of top teams around the world, is that at times you have to, have the, you have to allow the opposition to come out. Because it's okay saying, well, you want to press, you want to press. But sometimes you've got to create that space to counter in behind. And that sometimes mean in, means the opposition have to have more of the ball. Yeah. So you probably, you probably expect to see a little bit more of that because teams are going to, teams are going to look at Philadelphia Union now as a, as a real scout. And I would probably say that 95% of the teams, or maybe even more, that come to Subaru Park, they would take a draw before the whistle's even blown to start the game. And that's something that the union are going to have to contend with because you become a victim of your own success due to that. You know, in previous years, Jim was a guy who liked to, uh, you know, threw the four-two-three-one out there in the second half, throw El Sino, let him work his magic. Uh, you know, even go back a couple of years ago, they had Fafa Pico, but they don't really have natural wingers on the roster anymore because they've built a four-four-two team. They've built Ernst team, right? So in the second half of last year, there really wasn't like that plan B to throw at him. Instead, you had the Christmas tree, um, which was a combination, Danny, of like, you know, they didn't have healthy strikers, right? You know, so it kind of was like a necessity to play five midfielders. But sitting Jameer next to Daniel Gajdog worked to unlock those guys a little bit and make them more comfortable, more bodies around, easier passes to make. And uh, I, I wonder if you, if you like, number one, if you like the Christmas tree, and number two, if you did, 
do you see them going back to that at all? Um, is that just going to be a plan B, something for them to switch out of a different look to show them? What do you make of all that? Yeah, I, I think the, the key is flexibility. You know, as you quite rightly said, you know, the season before last, when, when I first started watching the Union games, if if things needed turning around, it would go from the 4-4-2 diamond to 4-2-3-1 with, Ilse- with Ilsenio coming onto the pitch. And he would then try and be the game changer. I think when you look at Philadelphia Union from last season now, there was times they played three at the back. They played the traditional 4-4-2 diamond. They played 4-2-3-1. And as you quite rightly said, they played 4-3-2-1 as well at times. Now, I think probably initially the 4-3-2-1 was, was down to what you said, which was the lack of um, center forwards. Yeah, it's like they ended up in it by necessity. Yeah, and what I fa- what I thought at the time was that I think that helped Garsdog's adjustment because all of a sudden there was two number 10s. And with having two number 10s that can work well together, it took a little bit of the pressure off Garsdog's so he could settle in even more. Now, would I expect them, if possible, to be able to play with a diamond? Yeah, I think so, because, you know, you, you brought two more center forwards in. So that, that, that would probably tell you quite a lot, I think. Um, how it then works out and figures out behind. I think, obviously, we know Martin is one of the best defensive midfielders in the league. You know, he's always going to be easy at the base of that diamond. He does the job of two players. Um, you have Bedoya, who, for me, probably doesn't get as much credit as he deserves because he's so consistent. And sometimes when players are consistent, it's like, OK, well, yeah, you expect that from them. But he does so much off the ball as well. Then you have, obviously, the tip of the diamond. You have Garsdog. You can have Aronson. You know, you've got uh, Quinn Sullivan who can play on the right. He can play at the 10 as well. Then you look at the left of the diamond. And then you think to yourself, right, okay, well, Montero's gone now. So you have Flock who played there a lot last season. He's obviously more defensive-minded. You've got McGlynn who can play there as well. He is He's one of the most intelligent footballers that I've seen. Yeah. He is, you know, people will look at him and say, well, he isn't overly quick. But I think he's got about five yards in his head. Can I tell you something, Danny? He was, uh, real quick, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah. But out of all the homegrown guys they put in there last year, Jack McGlynn was the one that grew on me the quickest. Mm. Just because early on I'm looking at him and I'm like, I don't know, maybe maybe he's not ready yet. But I see him spray a couple passes with his left foot. Yeah. And I see it now and I see what they see in him, you know. It gets me excited for what, what he could be, you know. Um, I'll give it back to you real quick, but. Leon got a ton of minutes last year, and obviously they feel really comfortable with him in there. My only thing is that those box to box eights in the in the diamond they're really unique because you like the work rate that's required is really demanding. And Leon obviously comes over as like a utility knife six slash eight slash left back can play multiple positions, and I feel like they need at least. You're going to have your two strikers in your 10. I feel like the strong side fullback is going to be forward, but I feel like you need at least something out of one of those eights. Um, early in the season, you saw Alejandro Bedoya. Olivia Ambizo did a lot of great, great things up the right flank. Yeah. Leon is a really smart off-ball player, really good Q reader. A Q reader. His work rate is through the roof. Um, on the ball, I feel like that's where the work needs to come and where he needs to grow. Um, so when you look at him and Bedoya – Bedoya being on one side, Flock being on the other side, how much do they need going forward from at least one of those guys? I, I, th- I think the point that you made about, in particular, the 
the opening half of last season, the relationship and the understanding between Baizo and Badoya was was brilliant. Yeah. There were so many attacks going down the right-hand side. And then I think a lot of people are saying, well, why is Wagner not doing the same down the left-hand side? But if you go back to, to, to the earlier parts of the season and even throughout the season, that left side of the diamond, it wasn't nailed on all the time because obviously you had Martinez who got suspensions and, and, and was away. So then... So then Flock would then come and sit at the base of the diamond. Other times there'd be, you'd have Montero there. Gar's dog played there. So yeah. the, the the thing is, and I can tell you this as a, as a former player, is that one of the biggest things you want on the football pitch is to build a partnership. Because when you build a partnership, you know what your partner expects from you. You know his strengths, you know his weaknesses. Look at Glesnes and Elliot. Yeah. Arguably the best partnership in MLS. Yeah. Because they know each other's game inside out. So they know exactly what the other one's going to do before he actually does it. And I think that's that's the side of things when you look at Wagner, one of the best fullbacks in MLS. Mm-hmm. And I think at times when you look at it now, if it is to be flocked that plays on the left of the diamond, I wouldn't say that that makes him more defensive-minded. What I would say is that it gives more license to Wagner to go forward because he knows when he goes forward, he's not got to be like, oh, I've got to go at the right time or... If I don't make this, then we're going to be in trouble. He always knows that a lot of the time when Union are going to be attacking, Wagner's going to be the left winger and Flock's going to be the left back. Mm-hmm. So he gives you that extra insurance. So I understand when people say, well, you know, you want a little bit more from that from that left of the diamond position because obviously with Flock, he's, he's, he's improving all the time going forward. Yeah. But what he actually gives you is one of your main attacking threats from the wide area. He actually gives that player more license. He frees him up. Exactly. So, so there's a few different different ways of looking at it. Um, I think one of the things is is what you want to see if the fullbacks are getting forward, is getting into the right areas to cross the ball instead of just getting into a position and crossing it. Because you know more often than not, centre forwards, they're not as big as centre backs. They're not as physical as centre backs. So a lot of the times, what you probably needed a, a little bit more of last season was the fullback getting to the byline and cutting the ball back for a midfield runner. And we saw that on a few occasions where with with or with or now that who's going to be coming in, he's got a physical element to him as well. So that that will add a different aspect because Chibilko gave that physical presence. But as I said previously, at times I thought he was too unselfish where he would be outside the box doing the link-up play when with all the goodwill in the world, you don't want him doing that. You want him in the box, ready to attack the ball that's coming into the box. Yeah, it's crazy to think that we have to ask a striker to be more selfish. Uh, normally, that's all they want to do is just be on the ball and score goals, you know. But uh, it's a good problem to have if you're him. But uh, last activity for the podcast, I put together kind of a too deep for the depth chart here. We can go over it front to back here. Starting with the forwards, obviously, they bring in Mikhail Orr. High hopes for him. Excited to see what he can do. Uh, Julian Carranza, change of scenery. Hope that pulls something out of him and gets him going and we can unlock his potential. Sergio Santos, direct runner, stretching defenses, play balls over the top for him, a good compliment to you know, a bigger-bodied guy next to him. Uh, Corey Burke, big bulldog type of dude who did a lot of, you know, he won a lot of duels and aerials and, you know, just played direct and some good things happened through him. Just seems like a group, Danny, that's got more uh, diversity this year and kind of different skill sets. I, I, I think... When you look at it, Santos, when he's on his game, he can be unplayable. He can be unplayable because he has everything. He has the skill. He has the pace. He has the strength. But as you've quite rightly just said there, all four centre forwards bring something different. So that means that 
you can create partnerships. Because what you don't want when you're looking at centre forwards, you don't you don't want both centre forwards to have the same skill set. You do, you don't want both of them stretching the game. You don't want both of them dropping deep. Yeah, you don't. Want- there was like a little bit of redundancy, I think, with like Shabilko and Burke. You know, kind of skill set where they're both bigger guys. That's why we always talked about Sergio's like being the cop one yes. best cop for either one of them to run off of them. Yeah. So, so you have the variety now, yeah. and you know, I, it, you look at it, and it's like, Or and Santos could they be a really good partnership? Why not? Yeah. You know, um, Carranza and Burke could they be a great partnership? Why not? Burke yeah. and Santos could they be? So you, you're looking at all these different things, and it it gives you the options instead of saying, well. We've got two centre forwards that play exactly the same way, so therefore can become easier to defend against. So I think it's a really good blend. It's a really good mix as well of of, of all of the four centre forwards bringing something a little bit different to the game. The midfield depth chart, the way I wrote it out, uh, Gajdag obviously at the 10, uh, Paxton Aronson behind him, who I think is going to have a much bigger role this year. Um, then lovely on Flock on the left side. We'll see uh, Jack McGlynn over there on the left side of the diamond as well. Two lefties on that side. Alejandro Bedoya for sure on the right. Still doing a lot of great things. Time and space. He knows it better than anybody. He's getting a little older. Um, Quint Sullivan's over there. Kind of a kind of a tweener. Kind of a ten. Kind of an eight. No, yeah. One of those in between kind of dudes. Uh, Jesus Bueno is an interesting guy. They seem to like him. Yeah. Um, even though we didn't see a lot of him last year. Um, Cole Turner's available there as well. Um, but this is typical Ernst Tanner union. That midfield is full of two-way grinders. Uh, El Brujo at the six. Leon can back him up there. Two-way dudes who do a lot of good stuff. Um, I think Gajdag, though, is probably the X factor. Need him to settle in and, and be the guy this year. Yeah, 100%. And I think all the plays that you just mentioned there, the good thing about it is that they're all multifunctional. They can all play in different positions, in particular the younger players. You know, if if I was to say to you, right, you're going to see, I don't know, just randomly throw it out there. You're going to see a, a, a diamond one week of Martinez, um, Garsdog, Aronson, or McGlynn or Sullivan. At times you're going to look and you go, okay, right, it's a diamond, but where do the where are these players actually playing? Yeah. And the element of surprise, I think, sometimes is is brilliant. Like, I remember, like, w- when I was playing and you play against the top teams, you'd play against, at the time, you know, your Manchester United, your Chelsea's, your Manchester City's. You'd see the team sheet, and then you'd go out on the pitch, and it was like, oh, I thought he'd be playing there, but he's not. He's actually playing somewhere else. So what it can actually do is cause confusion before the game even starts for the opposition. Yeah. Because you have one play that you think you're going to be marking. You have one system that you think you're coming up against. But the beauty of and the depth of this squad is that it gives you flexibility as in terms of the system that you want to play. And it gives you the ability to play players in different positions as well because they are multitaskers. And that even before a whistle's blown, the minute the team sheet goes into the opposition, they've got a problem because straight away you're like, mm, he could play there or he could play there or they could be playing this system or that system. And that's something that I think Philadelphia Union have developed probably over the last season, season and a half now where there's an element of surprise when that team sheet goes in. Left back, Kai Wagner. Keeping him was huge. Matt Real's back there, re-signed. Uh, Sorensen is a homegrown player who can play left back. Uh, Jack Elliott, who was 
playing on his left foot, his weak foot, the entirety of last year. Didn't look like it affected him at all. Yeah. It looked like he was playing the same right side of position he was playing the year before. Glasnes, right center back, Stuart Finley backing up both of those guys. And Baizo on the right, Nathan Harriel. I could do a whole hour on the center backs because <laughs> I love them yes. more than anything. I played it at a very low level, the position. You played it at a very high level. But I think the thing I love the most about them is that, uh, you know, if I could pick one thing, I feel like when I play, if I'm playing a pickup game or just Saturday rec league or something, I think every defender gets to a, a point in the game where you, you, you feel like you settle in, the game slows down, and you just see things coming. You settle into, like, the speed of the game, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I feel like every defender gets to that point where it slows down. You can kind of see what's coming, you know. With Elliot and Glesis, I feel like they settle into the game almost immediately. Minute number one. They rarely look like they're flustered. They always just seem to be in command of what's around them. Um, I looked up the stats, and Andre Blake really didn't face a lot of shots. Mm. You know, They constricted everything around them. They did a great job, Danny, of mitigation and seeing the danger. And it wasn't even putting out fires. They prevented the fires from starting in the first place. Yeah. When when you look at Glesner's and Elliot, both magnificent seasons, you know, last last season, I think Stuart Finley, I think he deserves a lot of credit as well because he bided his time. Every time he played, he gave a really good account of himself. And, you know, so what that does, that, that puts demands on starting centre-backs as well. To, you know, you've got to keep your form up because if not, then there's someone behind you. But what, for me, the, the biggest development or the, the, the biggest change that I saw in Glesnes and Elliot as the season went on, and it's something that's going to be really important this season as well, in particular at home, the way that they start attacks. Yep. Because it, it's something now, if you're, going to, if you're going to be playing at home, the majority of the teams are going to come to you and they're going to say, right, okay, Philadelphia Union, you know what, you can have the ball. But what we're going to do, we're going to keep our shape and we're going to counter-attack on you. What we saw last season, and it led to some goals, it led to opportunities, it led, it led to free kicks being being um, being given, being awarded, and, set, and, and corners and what have you, was that, and this is where it becomes difficult for opposition teams, and this is where it's so important for centre-backs when you're playing in a dominant team to go forward, is that more often than not, you play against a team that has one centre-forward. And if you're playing against a team that has one centre-forward, centre-forwards don't like to press. They they don't they don't like to press. It's like okay, yeah, I've got to do it, but I don't really like doing it. So I'm going to make it look as though I'm doing it, but I'm not really doing it. Yeah. So it it, be, it becomes easy enough for a centre back to get out. And what Jack Elliott and Jacob Glesner did really well last season is that either one of them got it got advanced of the opposition centre forward. And then what you're trying to do is create a knock on effect. You're trying to create a domino effect. So then what happens is if you've got beyond the opposition centre forward. All of a sudden, you're then facing their midfield. So what do they do? If they drop off and drop off, well, we know that Glesnes isn't afraid to shoot from 30, 35 yards. Mm -hmm. So what happens is eventually the midfielders are going to be like, we can't allow them to keep uh, advancing. So we have to step up to Glesnes or we have to step up to Elliot. All of a sudden, the domino effect is, okay, well, you know what? Now, an Aronson may be free to get on the ball because his man's had to leave him or a Bedoya or a guard's dog. And then it has that knock-on effect. Then all of a sudden, before you know it, Garsdog could be free because the defensive midfielder for the opposition has had to go forward as well. So 
Defensively, they were magnificent last season, but that was something that I also saw grow as the season went on. And it's something that's going to be absolutely vital when they're playing at home. And Martinez has a really big role in that because at times you'll see Glesnesarelli getting beyond him and he'll become the second centre-back. And that's something that, like I say, is so important. And I spoke to Jack a few times last season and this season as well during pre-season. And the one thing I would say about Jack is that from the minute I spoke to him, I knew that he was going to keep progressing because he wants to ask questions. He wants to learn. He wants to listen. And that in today's game is like gold dust. Players that continuously want to learn, they want to speak, they want to get advice and things like that. And Jacob, I haven't really spoke to him much, but he seems seems the same as well. And I say the two of them have been absolutely magnificent. And as, as important it has been to bring players in, you you started the, the podcast off with this. To yes. keep Wagner, to keep Martinez, to keep Elliot, to keep Glesnes, to keep Blake. All of a sudden, it's like sometimes the most important people aren't necessarily the players coming into the club. It's the players that you've been able to keep hold of. Continuity. You know, these guys have now played in Champions League semifinals, yeah. multiple playoff games, US Open Cup final 2018. That's just a wealth of experience and... You know, talking about Elliot, these guys are just likable. They're hardworking, good dudes. We have the dumb cliche in Philadelphia. It's like you got your hard hat, the lunch pail, you're the blue collar, dude. You know, what we want from the Sixers and the Eagles. But that's what these that's what these unique guys are. That that was the big thing for me when when I joined the club. You know, I I'm from Manchester in England, which is so similar to Philadelphia's in terms of what, what the people stand for. And one of the things you always found as a Manchester person, then when I went and played for Stoke as well, very, very similar. You know, working class people. All, all they want, they want to see a player when he's on the pitch, good, bad or indifferent. People will accept you having a poor game as long as you're not having a poor game through lack of effort and lack of endeavour. And that's, that, that's, that's, that's all you can ask for. So for me, the transition of moving over here working for Philadelphia Union, it was like a home from home for me because throughout my career, you know, I'd, I'd grown up in Manchester, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a big trait of Manchester people. Then you go and I I went and spent a lot of my time playing for Stoke City. That's what they stood for as well. It wasn't all about a player getting on the ball and taking three or four players on. A lot of the times it was about a player coming 40 yards away from his position to come and make this thunderous challenge or yeah. to help one of his teammates. And that's what's, that's what's respected. And if you can do that when you come and play, like I say, I'm getting into more of my sports now. I love NFL. I, yeah. I, I love watching the Eagles. And it was a, if, if you're going to, if you're going to try and understand the game and fall in love with the game and the playoffs this year in the NFL, I, I picked the perfect year. Um, and one of the things that I've found with all Philadelphia sports is that they will back you all the way. They will give you everything that they've got as long as you do the same thing in return because it's not complicated. You know, it's, it's like, not. We'll give you everything. You just got to make the effort. <clears throat> you know, you don't even have to be a great three point shooter, yeah. Ben Simmons. <laughs> you know, just give us everything and we'll give it back to you. Supporters. Supporters aren't fools. Yeah. It's as simple as that. They're, they're not fools. They know what you always want. And one of the things that I had at certain clubs that I was at is that you want your team to mirror your city. You want your team to mirror your city, 
to mirror the the um, the important aspects of that city. And if you can get a team to mirror the city, you're in a really good place. And if I was to say to you, or, or, or to any Philadelphia Union supporter or people that don't support Philadelphia Union, give me three words that, that sum up Philadelphia Union. I can guarantee those three words probably fall in line with giving me three words about what Philadelphia is. And that's a huge thing. That's always going to give you a great starting point. Yeah, I love it. And look, I mean, last year, the team got more love and more media coverage and more respect from uh, from the Eagles fans and the Sixers fans, Flyers fans, Phillies fans. I saw more of those people talking about the union than I ever have before. And it's great to see that people are uh, accepting them for having the traits that they look for in their teams. You know, local kids are easy to cheer for. Guys who work hard, keep their head down. They're not rolling around with supermodels. They're not driving Ferraris. Yeah. You know, they're really easy to relate to. I yeah. think, and I think people appreciate that, you know? It, it is. It's all about growth because I, I, I've come from a country where football, as in terms of, you know, call it soccer over here, but is the be all and end all. Yeah, yeah. And I've come over here and football isn't the isn't the the number one sport in the country. So the comparisons are probably NFL is what football is. Sure. And when you look at that, it's then like, okay, well, all of a sudden you're seeing more Philadelphia Union shirts about, you're seeing more, you know, more hats of Philadelphia Union because the team's having success. But the thing that's exciting, not just about the city of Philadelphia with, with football, but the country as a whole is that there's so much room for growth. Yeah. And there's no reason why it can't become one of the top sports. It's going to take time. Everybody knows that. But, you know, there, there is so much room for growth. And I think we've seen what Philadelphia Union have done over the last two seasons in particular. They've really put themselves on the map as in terms of, you know, you, you're not necessarily talking about, let me get this right. You're not necessarily talking about the big four in Philadelphia now. Is it the big five? Yeah, it's it's five for five. We want it to be five for five right now. The saying is four for four yeah you know and why not i everybody makes a big deal about uh you know philadelphia is very parochial it's very provincial everybody loves to tell you about their favorite place in philly their favorite cheesesteak place i'm so philly you know? you know but then why not add the local soccer team you know right it doesn't seem like rocket science to me i just think there's always been this like thing where soccer is european yes it's not an american thing you know we like football and basketball and baseball and, you know, and a lot of it, man, honestly, it's like attrition and you just need to wait out these old ideas and, um, you know, you see the stands are filled with the younger people. That's and- the key. Yeah. That's the key. It's, it's, it's the young, it's the younger generations, 100%. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, if, if you, st- if you're following Philadelphia union now, you know, the atmosphere at home is amazing. The success that they're having, the games that they're winning, you know, as a, as a, as a young as, as a younger supporter, you're going to want, you know, you're going to want all of that. My, my two youngest, you know, they, they love coming to all the games. I'm going to go and get the shirt before the, before the, the season opener on Saturday. How old are they? So they're, they're 10 and eight. Well, the difference is here is that, and I was having a conversation with one of my friends about it, is that when you go to a sports game over here, it, it is a show. It's a whole show. It's entertainment. And that's not just what goes on the pitch. It's what goes on off the pitch. So that that makes it, I think, more exciting as well. For You know, you, you go to Philadelphia Union, you've got the Sons of Ben. You know, I, I'm arriving and you're seeing them in the corner, getting yeah. their things ready. And you've got all these different things. And that's that's really appealing. I think it's brilliant. And I think 
the more younger people that you can then get on board, well, they're going to grow and be Philadelphia Union fans. And then the idea is that their children are Philadelphia Union fans. And it, it goes generation, generation. Because- yeah, and they pass it down. They pass it down. It, it, uh, you know, these impressionable moments where you take your kid to a game and he, he meets Danny Higginbotham in the parking lot and you sign his T-shirt or something. Now you got a, now you got a fan for life. Yeah, we weren't able to do that because we didn't have a team. Right? Yeah, exactly. How are, you, how are you able to have an impression on anybody when there was when there was an anything? And, and and it is it's it's about now. It's about Philadelphia Union building its history because when you go and watch the Eagles, when you go and watch the Phillies, when you go and watch the Sixers, when you go and watch the Flyers, because they've been going for so long. There is that generational it's connection. Ingra- it's ingrained already. It's ingrained. Exactly. And what, what, what's this going into it? Is it Philadelphia Union's, you know, they, 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 they're, they're a very young team. What, 11 years, 12 years old? 12, and, 12 season number 12. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, that's going, that's going to take time. But that is part of the process. Whereas, like, you, you, you look at the other sports, they've been going since, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s. So there's, there's so many different generations that have, take my son, take my grandson. Take take my daughter, take my my granddaughter, and that's the thing that now you're trying to achieve with Philadelphia Union. But that just comes with time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all good things. And Danny, I'm glad you're along for the ride with us. It's great to have you back for uh, color commentary for another year. Of that we appreciate your time. Um, final thought. I mean, what do you think the UD can do this year? My my own personal opinion. Uh, this has to be up there with one, if not the best squads that, that they've ever had. It has to be. Yeah. I don't want to jinx it. I feel crazy saying this. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't want to jinx it, but this is probably the best union team I've ever seen on paper. Okay. I've been doing this since year one, and they've had some good good teams to be excited about. But, but the combination of talent and continuity and uh, – philosophy and everybody kind of being on the same same page it's a rare blend and honest honest to god i haven't seen it since i've been covering the team so then then you're always looking at progression and you know because of what the union have done over the last couple of seasons the progression is mls cup yeah you know it and and you know it's like don't get me wrong it's people say oh well that's putting pressure on the team top teams want pressure yeah. The top teams on it's not like, oh, yeah, well, we'll be okay mid-table. You don't want that. If you've got pressure on you, the good pressure, that yeah. means you're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah, we're not being crazy. This team, just so everybody understands, like, this is not a crazy, like, thought from our end because they went to the semifinals of the Champions League last year. They went to the semifinals of the playoffs last year. So... Uh, they've been there as recently as a couple months ago. Uh, so it's not crazy to think that that should be the goal. Why wouldn't it be the goal? The, the key, the, the biggest key for me this upcoming season is how, how they deal with the ultimate respect that they're going to have now. Yeah. Because. Yeah. They're not surprised at anybody. Anymore. Yeah. And, and there's going to be teams that will have come to Philadelphia union last season and gone, you know what? We can come here and win those teams are going to be few and far between now, or they're going to be, we can win the game, but in order to win the game, we've got to really frustrate them. So it's, as I said previously, you become a victim of your own success. So that Philadelphia union will be, will be a scalp. Anybody coming to Philadelphia union, I think a lot of teams will be like, if we can get a win, amazing. If we can get a point, 
we'll take that right now, get back on the bus or get back on the plane, go back to where we come from and we grab a point. So it's the expectation levels that everybody's got to deal with now. It's There will be times as well, I think, where the supporters, they're going to have to be patient because at times it might look on the pitch that, hang on a second, why, why are they not getting going? Teams won't allow that. And that's why patience is going to be needed from everybody. I'm not saying patience in terms of they won't have the success, but in terms of, on terms of how a game may unfold. It might be that it's a really close game and the opposition are defending, defending, defending. And Union might get a winner in the 75th, 80th minute. And that's, that might be what it takes because that's, that's what happens now because of the success of the Union. You've had the players that they've got, the manager that they've got, just everything. There's so many teams, I think, in MLS now that look at Philadelphia Union and think, that's the way to build a team. Well, I'm ready to fast forward through the rest of the week and get to Saturday. I know. I don't want to wait three more days. Philadelphia Union color commentator and former Premier Leaguer uh, Danny Higginbottom on the program. Danny, thanks for your time again. My pleasure. We'll look for you on TV, and uh, maybe I'll drag my butt down to uh, Chester and uh, finally meet in person one of these days, all right? Definitely. Sounds good to me.